I've got a friend and he's just one of the most lovely people that you would like to meet. He not only would help the old lady across the road, he would also help her down the road and help her into her house and, and put on the cup of tea before he left. That's just the type of person he is. He goes the extra mile for people. You look at him and say he would make a lovely Christian. It just seems he's so close to eternal life the way he acts. Well, is he close to eternal life? Is there any shred of righteousness in him or in anyone else that can make us right with God? That's a subject we'll be considering today in Romans chapter 1 and 2 as we look at the Home Bible Study podcast again and God's courtroom. Session number 2. We're looking at Romans 1 verse 18 to 2 verse 16. The pagan world and the moralistic world. I'm Andrew and I'm your host as we go through this study. We had a lovely home Bible study there uh, on Monday evening. I trust this will be a blessing to you. And uh, just before we do and anything else, we're going to commit ourselves to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you. We pray that as we look into your word again, that you would bring back fresh thoughts and help us again to uh, go through this wonderful passage of scripture uh, even though it's solemn and sad and serious, we thank you for the fact that Romans doesn't end just with condemnation. We thank you that we turn to salvation and glorification. Uh, and so, Father, we would pray that as we go through this study, we each might be blessed. We commit ourselves to you in the Lord's name. Amen. Okay, so if you've got the handout, uh, you can follow through as we look, work our way through the handout together. If you don't have the handout, you can uh, request it from me at andwilliamson01 at yahoo.co.uk. Um, you might be able to download it from the podcast site. Um, it might be available uh, through a Dropbox link. So, so check that out as well. Just looking today at God's courtroom again. Uh, I mentioned in the introduction last time that God brings everyone into his courtroom in, in Romans chapter 1 to 5. We look at the world through the eyes of God and we find out that there is none righteous no not one and yet we find out that there's an answer in the death of Christ to our deepest need and that's really the the subject matter that we'll be considering over the next number of, of sessions as we do so we'll be uh, looking at subjects and, and and we'll be bringing up different people uh, who represent if you like people groups in the world of the first century. Paul is setting out the universal need of God's righteousness in Christ. Uh, we're going to find out that we need it wherever in the world we come from and whatever background we have. Mankind, we'll find out by chapter 3, verse 20, is guilty before God. So to develop his prosecution of humanity, he realizes that there's a number of responses. So he divides humanity into three different subsections. Some people like to link it back to the subsections that are found in the days of Noah, when the sons of Ham and the sons of Japheth and the sons of Shem, of course, are divided. And some people like to label each one of uh, the, the these sons one of these categories. I'm not so sure about that. Alternatively, I think we're going to deal with the pagan world, firstly. The world that was around Paul in his day that that wasn't the 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 kind of world that that uh, 
um, grew up out of uh, Judaism or anything like that. No, this was the world of the idols, the world that was seemed so far away from God. And then there's the the moralistic world, the 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 Greeks and their thinking and their aspirations. And by the time Paul was on planet Earth, of course we we had had Socrates and Plato and the great um, moral reformers of that um, world. And then, of course, there's the Jewish world as well. There, there are those who have been given light from God in a particular way. They, they were there to be God's evangel, evangelist to the whole world. And so, as we look at these three subgroups, if you like, of humanity, the, the Romans... I think, are represented in the pagans. You'll remember over the cross there was written in, in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Uh, well, the Latin of the Romans uh, was, was represented, I take it, in the pagan world. And then, of course, the more philosophical, uh, the more moralistic Greek of the Greeks was represented there. And, of course, the Hebrew, the religiosity of the Hebrew was represented. And yet all those... Uh, Languages were used to convey that this one on the cross was Jesus, the King of the Jews. So let's look at this in a little bit more detail. Uh, we'll read the sections and we'll think about them together. We're going to find out that each of these people groups, if you like, um, has at least one chief witness against them. Uh, to the pagan, Paul is going to remind them of creation. To the moralist, he's going to point out his conscience. And to the Jew, he's going to point out the commandments, the law, the scriptures that he's been given. By Romans 3, 9 to 20, Paul will sum up by reading out the indictment. And he uses 10 direct quotations of scripture to prove the guilt of the whole world. Together, they've become unprofitable. Both Jew and Gentile are brought in under God's judgment. So let's look at Romans chapter 1 verse 18 uh, down to the end of the chapter. I'm going to read this first section that's about the pagan world in one stop. So listen up as we read from uh, the English Standard Version today, I think it is. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish heart was darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them over to the desires of their heart to impurity. To dishonour their bodies among themselves, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonourable passions. For their woman exchanged the natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. 
And likewise, the men also abandoning natural relations with women and were inflamed in their passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what should not be done. They were filled, they are filled with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness, malice. They are rife with envy, murder, strife, deceit, hostility. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, contrivers of all sorts of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, covenant breakers, heartless, ruthless. Although they fully know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but also approve of those who practice them. So that's Romans chapter 1, the rest of the chapter. And Paul is going to set out um, his argument, his prosecution of the pagan world. Does the pagan world have a righteousness, a right standing before God? Now, the great argument would be made by the pagan world, you would expect, we didn't know. We don't have the light of the Jews. We don't even have the light that the the the, the moralists have. Well, we, we, we are completely in the dark. Surely God can't find us guilty because we are in the dark. We are righteous by way of not having been told. We can't be charged with guilt. And of course, this is exactly not the case. Paul is going to lift the charge against the pagan world in the first two verses, three verses, 18 to 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known of God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So we're going to learn here that God has shown to them and revealed himself to them, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. They have no excuse to reject God. God has revealed himself to them. Oh, yes, it isn't the deep res res uh, revelation of the gospel, but it is an important revelation through creation around them they can understand god's eternal power and divine nature that he is god that he's worthy of worship that he should be thanked he should be praised and so first of all we discover that the pagan world and the pagans who think that they don't deserve to be punished because after all they didn't have the light that the jews had they are still under judgment to god they are without excuse. They have no righteousness that they can bring to God. They are guilty before God. Now we might ask ourselves a question. What is the wrath of God? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. We discussed this in our home Bible study. And some pointed out that, that in ancient history, God's wrath had been evidenced, whether it be through the flood or, or it be through Sodom and Gomorrah. Different times God has punctured uh, human history with a, a devastating expression of his wrath and, and anger against men. Well, 
maybe we should go back a stage and ask the question, what is God's wrath? You see, whether it be the Romans or the Greeks, they had forms of gods, and their wrath was a kind of capricious hatred against anything that they didn't like just because they did hate it. And you can imagine a, a kind of uh, anger that boils hot and bubbles to the surface. And that is not God's anger. That is not God's wrath. God's wrath is a settled, holy disposition that he has towards sin. It doesn't change. It doesn't fluctuate. That's why it says in Scripture that uh, God is a righteous God and God is angry every day uh, with the wicked and with wickedness. And so God has a settled disposition, a hostility towards sin. He knows and understands all that sin has done to his fair creation. He understands what it does to every human being, how it destroys them. Sin is a poison and God hates it and so God's wrath is against it he only has one answer for sin and that is judgment that is why a Christian can rest secure in the fact that his saviour has taken his place in judgment has died in his stead has borne his judgment because that's how sin has been dealt with for the person who has trusted Christ. So that's the wrath of God. How is it revealed? Well, I actually think here in this passage, the wrath of God is revealed, and others have suggested this too, um, in how God responded to their sinfulness. It says in the next section that they didn't honour him as God, they didn't give thanks to him, and therefore God gave them over to certain vile affections that they had. A certain evil desires that ruined them. And so I think what it's saying here is that we can even evidence, and Paul as he was looking around him at the, the pagan world and he saw how disintegrated their societies were becoming, when he saw how how devastated their bodies were, were being by sin, he, he could tell that God was against this. And hence there was so much devastation um, at that level well, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men ungodliness that's our sin against God in the sense that it's against our it's our attitude to God that's in question here ungodliness um that's our attitude to God if we have a wrong attitude to God if we're not thankful if we won't honor him if we won't worship him our ungodliness will then lead to unrighteousness. And so by the end of the chapter, there's a real emphasis on, on their action to their fellow man, their fellow woman. And so that's the order against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. One is the first table of the law. The other is the second table of the law. The first table of the law, it's all pointed vertically. Um, ungodliness. If my attitude to God is wrong, my attitude to my fellow man who's made in the image of God will be wrong as well. And what happened was that these people actually suppress the truth. And by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. I give the illustration of uh, the, our children when, they, when they're in the bath. Sometimes they take the little balls in. 
that are full of air and, and they'll push the ball under the water away down to the bottom of the bath. Uh, but they can't keep it down there for too long. It'll pop back up again. Uh, and they have to push it down again. And that's the thought of suppressing the truth. Tr truth has an uncomfortable way of popping up at the wrong kind of times. If you're trying to believe a lie, if you're trying to believe idolatry, if you're trying to believe that this little idol is the true God, and yet you're carting it about on the back of a cart, uh, eventually, at times, the truth of the lie pops up again and again, uh, and, and you have to suppress the truth. The truth of how much of it is a lie, I mean. Okay, so what, what is the, the clarity of the witness from creation? Well, that's a very interesting thing. It says here that, that God has made it plain to them. So this is not an ambiguous witness. Uh, if someone is coming to the, the, the design of the creation around us, and uh, sees design at every level, you can see the beauty of the sunset, they can see beauty in deep space. Wherever they look, there's design and order and majesty. Uh, those who take a microscope and look under the microscope right down to the cell molecular level, and they see beauty there as well. Uh, and they see function and design uh, at a r remarkable level. Uh, each one of your cells in your body is more designed than a, a Tesla superstore that's pumping out uh, these marvelous vehicles. Just each cell is, is so sophisticated and developed. And we have to ask ourself the question, uh, if there's a design, is there a designer? And, and the natural response to that is plain to them, Paul says. God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world. And so they're without excuse. No one has an excuse to reject God and practice unrighteousness. No one has a, an excuse not to seek after God. And yet people don't seek after God. And as we come to the next little section, he's not only giving the charge against the pagan world, He's going to give the evidence against the pagan world, verse 21 to 23. Firstly, he's going to prove their ungodliness in their idolatry, and then he'll prove their unrighteousness, their ungodliness. For though they knew God, in other words, mankind did initially know God and know of God, they might not have had a sophisticated understanding of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but they understood that he was God, that he was almighty, that he had eternal power. They could see it from the world around them. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, so they turned away from the God that they knew. They didn't honor him as God ought to be honored. They didn't worship him. And they didn't give thanks to him for any blessings that they received. Uh, but rather they became empty and futile in their thinking and their foolish heart, hearts were darkened. And so as they turn away from the light of God's reality, their heart begins to get dark. And I would, the scripture speaks about the heart. It doesn't just speak about the, this organ beating, uh, beating uh, blood around the body. 
No, it's speaking about our the our intellect and our the seat of our understanding, the very core of our being. Their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise by rejecting this God, by building all these other idols. They became fools and exchanging they exchanged the glory of the immortal, the never dying God, for images that resembled mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. He mentions four different categories here. Mortal man, in contrast to the immortal God. Man that they can see dies and lies in the dust. They made images resembling man. What about birds? Images resembling birds and animals and creeping things. And so they turn uh, from the creator to his creation. And this affected their thinking processes. So this is the evidence against the pagan world. And it's seen in the outbreak of idolatry that follows. You think of um, Babylon and Babel and so on. The beginning of the idolatrous world system. They changed or they exchanged the glory of the true God, the immortal living God, for something less. Can we ask ourselves a question? Do we see a similar process in the world that we live in today? In the last 50 to 100 years, God has been neglected, set aside, especially in Western Europe. God has been uh, rejected, whether it be in the education system as an option even though, again, like this suppression of the truth, clearly from time to time the truth pops up. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for something less. And so people have today. And so their foolish heart was darkened, as sadly we are seeing today in a very sad and remarkable way. Let's look at verse 24 to 32. Not only the evidence against the pagan world um, as to idolatry, but as to immorality, unrighteousness is now going to be proved. Unrighteousness is going to be proven, I should say. God gave them over. Therefore, God gave them over. Why does it say therefore? Now, when we come across Therefore, in the scripture, it's often been pointed out, you've got to ask yourself what it's there for. And it's pointing us back to what he's just saying. These people exchanged the glory of God, the incorruptible God, and they swapped it out for something else. Therefore, God gave them over to the, in the desires of their hearts to impurity, to dishonor their bodies. They wouldn't honor God. So God says they can dishonor their bodies among themselves. They didn't accept the truth of God. They rather bowed down to an idol to lie. And they worshipped and served the creation rather than creator who is blessed forever. And for this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. So we have their, the brakes being taken off their pursuit of sin. And just like a runaway train, they career down the slope into the deep ravine below. They're going in only one direction. And this is an evidence of God's wrath against them. God gave them over to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged the natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Likewise, the men abandoned natural relations with women and were aflamed with their passions one for another. 
men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. And so we have a, a rise of, of, of distorted, um, unbiblical, perverted activity in all different ways. God gave them over to dishonorable passion. So God gave them over in the desires of their heart to impurity, to dishonorable passions. And finally, you'll see in verse number 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God. That, that's a thought here. He's unpacking what he's already said. They didn't see fit to acknowledge God. They disapproved to acknowledge God. That's the thought. And God gave them over to a depraved or a disapproved mind to do what should not be done. In other words, their mind wasn't functioning properly. Their thought processes, their mindset was affected. Their worldview was darkened because they refused God. And the immorality of uh, the ungodliness was now going to spill over into deep immorality deep unrighteousness you'll notice the the catalog of their unrighteousness and, and guilt comes up next they're filled with all kinds of right, unrighteousness he doesn't have to uh display much of an argument at this point he just simply has to point out their sins to show their unrighteousness before God to show that they are guilty before God they're filled with every kind of unrighteousness wickedness covetousness malice envy murder strife deceit hostility they're gossip slanderers haters of God insolent arrogant boastfuls contrivers of all sorts of evil disobedient to parents senseless covenant breakers heartless ruthless although they fully know God's righteous decree. Notice that again, they fully know. So there is no one without knowledge. There is no people group, however far away you go, that has no knowledge of the true God. Even those people that you think of that don't have a knowledge can see all around them when they when they step out of their house at nighttime and look up to the stars, they can see the evidence of a creator God that they should search after. When they do something wrong, their conscience, and you'll come on to this, this in the next chapter, also collides with it. They fully know God's righteous decree. They know that, they, that to practice such things deserves death, but they don't only do them, they actually approve of those who practice them. So they begin to exult and codify into their legal systems deep, wrong, sinful actions. And sadly, we've seen this trend in the last century in Western culture, as it begins to disintegrate, as it's post-Christian in its thinking. And, and so we see these very things happening where uh, evil is being called good now. And even though people know deep down that God's righteousness decree, that, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they have so distorted and affected their minds that they approve of those who practice them. So this is a really solemn and sad thing, but you can see the evidence is stacked up against the, the pagan person, the pagan world. Um, clearly, there's ungodliness proved, uh, and clearly there is unrighteousness uh, exhibited, um, and the wrath of God is seen in their society. The pagan world is guilty as he looks back on it in history. So it would seem that the defense has been we didn't know. Our circumstances mean we shouldn't be guilty. But, 
But Paul really records that they've clearly seen, and it's without excuse, and they fully know God's righteous decree. That's a pagan world that is guilty. Okay, so look, moving on uh, to the next section. Uh, we'll do that in our next podcast. I'm going to split this in podcast into NB, but I think for the sake of understanding these sections, I'll do that right now. Okay, so this is the end of this podcast, and we'll pick it up in our second part when we look at the moralistic world um, of chapter two. Thank you for listening.